welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about community feedback. Gamers can certainly be vocal when it comes to properties that they love, but is this good, bad, or somewhere in between? To help me discuss community feedback is a man who understands that his words have power and should only be used for good, or to get his favorite obscure Nintendo character into Smash, my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Doing well, man. I'm uh, just finishing up this tweet to Nintendo uh, about getting more Metal Gear Solid characters into Smash Brothers. Um, I'm tagging all all 62 of my followers, so you know I'm expecting to hear back soon. Now, if you could add one character to Smash, who would it be out of Metal Gear Solid? Ooh, that's a tough one, but. I think it would probably be the monkey from Metal Gear Solid 4. The, the monkey who a, drinks cola and, and, and pitches guns around. There's a monkey in Metal Gear Solid Dude, 4. get with the program. <laughs> he drinks soda I mean, and he sells guns. I don't know what you don't understand about this tactical I military have, game. I have been missing out, apparently. You know who I, you know who I would add? Hmm. Gino from Mario RPG. Is Gino the forgotten Mario Brothers cousin? Gino's the he's like Pinocchio he's like a doll that comes to life in uh, Mario RPG but that game was like the black hole of Mario games like nothing survived outside of that game there's just no canon left over from it no I don't know yeah it's really weird I don't know why none of those characters made it out because they're all super great Mario characters you've got Mallow who's like a cloud that was raised by frogs in a pond come on that's if that doesn't scream Nintendo I don't know what does or Metal Gear Solid I think it would I think it would work in either game. <laughs> At the end of this episode, we're going to be playing Mario RPG or Metal Gear Solid 4. Feel free to play along at home. <laughs> well, uh, today's episode is actually going to be a little bit different than usual, Jared. Oh, really? Enlighten me. <laughs> I will gladly do I, so. I have no idea of what's about to happen. No, we, um, well, for the listeners, we had an interview with Danny Pena which we will get to a little bit later in the episode. But we're, we're doing this episode in a slightly different format. We're going to go into the history a little bit, and then we'll, we'll jump into that interview. And then afterwards, you and I will get into our, our thoughts about community feedback. But definitely look forward to that Danny Pena interview. It was uh, really great to get to talk with him, and he had some, some really great insight into how community feedback plays a part in game developers making video games and the game developer and fan relationships and and all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was a great interview. Definitely look forward to it. But first, let's talk a little bit of history, Jared. Where did uh where did community feedback in video games come from? We have to just go back to the Atari 2600 once again. Um It's a deep well. We keep drawing from it. It is. I mean, it is kind of like the mainstream start of of I would say popular commercialized video games. But Space Invaders is cited as one of the leading contributors to the success of the 2600 and just gaming consoles in general after that. It was estimated to have quadrupled the sales of the system when it was released. A lot of people saw that and they had to get their Ataris in. But as early as the 1980s, as a response to how popular home gaming was getting, several magazine video game magazines were started to follow that. So uh, Computer and Video Games Magazine and Computer Gaming World Magazine both launched in 1981, and they congregated different sources and different journalists' uh, voices to start re- uh, writing about this stuff. So I think that may be a good start to forming, you know, video game communities in general. Yeah, that's a, it, it seems like a good place to start 
having this discussion about community feedback. Is that before this, games would be would be made and they'd go to arcades and obviously people would congregate at these arcades, but there was no sort of like unified voice for the players. And these magazines started to create this sort of like, they started to centralize the discussion, you know, with things like reviews and previews and stuff like that. So that it seems like a really good sort of jumping off point, but it didn't necessarily give voice to the everyman, let's right. say. Yeah, they did a good job at building a community and, and, and readers. Um, but then, you know, we started to get a little bit more connected and, and something called Usenet sprung up during that time. Uh, Usenet was a tool for sharing news and opinions over the internet, as it was in 1980. And uh, similar to forums and email chains, users contributed conversations on all types of things, including video games. Now, did you ever use Usenet, Jared? You were, you were I didn't. always a little more plugged in than I was to all this stuff. No. Um, I mean, honestly, AOL was my first real internet experience. And, and there were like different groups and stuff like that for video games uh but usenet was a little bit before my time well usenet's still around sure still something that people use now i think it was probably for people who weren't like 10 at the time it was probably a little less user-friendly yeah well and so for for people who aren't familiar with it you know like when you when you log on to the internet log on like i'm using old man lingo here but when, when you access the internet, you typically do it through a browser, right? Like you type in a URL and it takes you to a website. Usenet also connected people over telephone lines, but it was essentially a forum. And that's all it was. It was not viewing web pages or anything like that. All you were getting was the information was coming to you sort of in the format of what we typically think of as a forum like layout. And that's that's all it was. Yeah, I guess you could sort of, I mean, is Discord kind of like using it i don't know i mean discord is somewhere in between like a chat room and a forum kind of yeah it's like a super early version of that i guess it's like yeah it's like if you booted up your browser and the only thing you could see was a forum that included all of the information on the internet and then you had to go into like different categories you had to go like oh what's going on in sports and you would log you know you'd go to the sports forum and then from there you'd go like okay what's going on in baseball and you'd go to the baseball forum you go, okay, what's going on with the Blue Jays? And you'd go to the Blue Jays. You know, like, it was this, like, hierarchy that it was laid out in. Yeah, and I, I guess the hierarchy was kind of relegated to, like, eight major categories. There, uh, The video games one was relegated to the recreation or rec category. And uh, more specifically, it was the rec.games.video subgroup. Yeah, so again, you'd, you'd access the recreation and then go to games and go to video games. And How would you, would you find these, whatever. though? Like, did you just have to know about them or just find them elsewhere on the Internet? Um, that I don't know. Oh, well, I mean, this was the Internet. You know, did you have to know these URLs? I don't think so. I think it had sort of like a click-through menu. You'd cl- you know, you'd click on recreation, then you'd click on games, and you'd click on video games, and then, there, you know, and it just sort of kept breaking down and breaking down, and you could provide, you know, you could put in whatever you want, provide feedback, ask questions, stuff like that. Yeah, and it's it's kind of hard to pinpoint where this stuff or originated, like what kind of conversations were happening, because most of that was sort of lost to time. There's some archival efforts happening, but uh, you know, I would say majority of it is just uh, I don't know. It might be out there somewhere, but it's sitting in that in an old tape box somewhere. I'm sure. It, it's it's so funny if you go back and look at some of the old archived stuff because. 
the original conversations around video games seem so quaint by today's standards. I mean, there's definitely a way that the discourse around video games occurs that has changed over time. And you go back and look at this old stuff and people were, I mean, it, it was, it wasn't the internet as we know it today. You know, people would go on there and they would just, how do I get past this part? You know, there was no FAQ for a game. You couldn't log onto YouTube and watch a walkthrough. So people were asking, you know, how, how do I beat whatever game? Dark Castle for the Apple II computer. <laughs> just very specific questions. People with very surface level critiques of games and consoles at the time. But it really was sort of the, the first time that people could have a voice, you know, the, the everyday person could have a voice in that space. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting if, I, I, you know, if you look back at some Usenet discussions, and I, I think we'll probably tweet out that we have a link of some some old Usenet archive stuff. But people were interested in talking to developers, interested in, in expressing themselves in a way that they thought could have an impact on gaming. And that has always sort of been there from the very start. How so? You look at even some of the earliest archive stuff, you're, you're talking about um, people critiquing the Nintendo Entertainment System. And they're not getting paid for it, you know what I mean? Like, they're, they're offering their insights. I mean, partly to help other people, you know, make an informed buying decision just out. Sort of like what we do here on this podcast a little bit, where we're critiquing these things. But they're doing it in a public space, right? Like, this is the only place that these video game discussions are happening on the internet at the time. There is no internet as we know it today. So there, there's an expectation, I think, from a lot of these people that this feedback is, is going to have an impact in the space, even if it's not directly to developers, even if it's things like sort of what we see today, like, hey, don't buy this game, send this developer a message. And I don't, I'm not going to, we're not going to get into that part right now. We'll get, we'll get into that <laughs> discussion a little bit later. But there is, you can see the seeds of like, how do we, as the people who are enjoying this medium, have an impact on the medium itself? Uh, it's pretty funny if I, I can't remember exactly what it was, but on an old giant bomb on professional Friday, it's, it's their Friday live show that they do. They were playing through some of these like super old games. And I, I can't remember if it was like, it was something like Oregon, the original Oregon trail or uh, the original number munchers. Or if you go into credits, there was a phone number for like tips and tricks that you could call. And so this is, this is only like a couple of years ago or last year that this happened on giant bombs show. Uh, they're like, well, let's just call that number and see what happens. Uh, and they called it and it went to the lead developer. He still had that phone number and it just went to his house phone. They were completely uh, taken aback by that. They were like, oh, uh, we didn't think anybody was going to answer this phone. <laughs> they kind of told him what they were doing and stuff. And there's like, yeah, sorry to bother you, but uh, that's it. I just want to let you know it's uh, this thing is still out there. People can still get this. And the guy was actually That's really funny. excited that uh, people were still playing that game. Well, it's like, I mean, it's a classic. Right. I hope kids are still playing. No, kids aren't playing that. It's Not just original. It's just Minecraft and Fortnite. <laughs> what am I talking about? Number people, munchers. People are making <laughs> number munchers in Minecraft now. <laughs> You're probably right. All right, Jared, uh, this probably seems like a good time to jump into our interview with Danny Pena. So enjoy that. And we will be back on the other side to, I guess, share our thoughts on how community feedback affects game design. All right, guys, we're here with the founder of Gamertag Radio and inductee into the Podcaster Hall of Fame. It's Danny Pena. Danny, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Good, good, man. Uh, first of all, thanks for the invite. 
I think it's going to be a very interesting topic here. Yeah, <laughs> but thank thanks for thanks for the invitation, man. Thank you so much for joining us on your birthday weekend. This is uh, it's an honor that you were you know willing to carve out this time for us. I really appreciate it. No, nah, no problem, man. Anytime, man. I, I love I love uh, you know going to podcasts and and talking about like stuff that's going on with gaming, especially in the industry and all that stuff. So yeah, I love this, man. No problem. No, dude, it, it, it's an honor to have you here. How was your E three? You just uh, you got back fairly recently from that. Yeah, it was it was crazy because usually we always have like you know the full crew there, um, mm-hmm. but this year was a little bit challenging because uh, Paris just got a new job and uh, he he only went to like the pre E three events and we met up at night also after E three, but during the day he was mm-hmm. at work, so it was only two people the whole time recording interviews and stuff. So re. We released like fifty five episodes that within I know you five guys. Days. You guys were busting your ass. Yeah, out there. <laughs> it was a lot Jeez. of <laughs> a lot of walking around, uh, rocking around the, the the convention and and then uh, doing quick interviews and and all that stuff. So it was it was pretty challenging for us, but we did it. We made it happen, man. You guys killed it. There was a, you guys did a lot of really great coverage coming out of there. Yeah especially i'll say the cyberpunk coverage oh you guys <laughs> yeah that was that was a very the, the excitement for that game your guys excitement for that game is like infectious like i it's one of those games where i've been like kind of excited about it but i haven't seen much for it but after hearing the way you guys talk about that game i have to say i'm i'm pretty psyched yeah um what what games coming out of e3 are you most excited for after seeing them yeah, besides Cyberpunk, of course. Uh, the Division 2, I'm very, very excited for that one. Control from Remedy. Uh, I'm, mm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a huge I'm Remedy a fan. Movie. Huge, huge fan. Yeah. And, and I also have an interesting story about that, man. Uh, so uh, during the presentation, you know, it was a full room. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the only one, like, fanboy, you know, just, like, hype about the game and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> and then uh, I started asking questions right after the presentation. And I was the only one asking questions, but the questions I was asking, like, you could tell, damn, this guy's a freaking fan, you know? <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> so um, once we were done, you know, I, I I said to the guys that were there from Remedy, I was like, oh, congratulations. I, I can't wait for the game. Take care. I was about to leave to go to my next appointment. And uh, <laughs> when the developer's like, hold on, don't leave. And he walks he walks out and I'm like, damn, did I... Did I say something bad? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> right? So he comes back and he gave me a hat, a t-shirt, and a pin of, of the oh, game. Oh, right on. And he said, look, we only made like 21 of these, only for our hardcore fans. I was like, oh, thanks, thank, thanks, man. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I, that was a really cool uh, moment for me at E3, man. That was awesome. Love and that. then you went home and sold it on eBay. No, no actually <laughs> not, man. I, I, I'm one of those people that I like to keep stuff, man. Like, I, I want to show no, it to I'm like my... I want to show it to like my nephew, nieces, you know, son, a daughter in the future. You know, like I, I love, I love keeping all that stuff, man. Like I have stuff from like 2001 when I went to like my second video game event was the Xbox Unleashed. This is where Microsoft showed like their console for the first time, and I still have my badge. I, ha- I still have like some stuff from from that event in New York City. So it's good memories. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Very cool. It's funny you say, it's funny you say that like being a big fan of Remedy because when I listen to your podcast and listen to your coverage of E3, I think one of the things that at least for me that kind of separates your podcast from so many of the other sort of gaming podcasts I listen to mm-hmm. is that your guys' fandom like is still there, still so present. You know, I think a lot of times, and and I don't mean this like to sound like a negative because it's totally not, but a lot of times 
when people get into talking about video games and I probably do this myself, they go like, this is my podcasting voice. And they, you know, like they, they talk, they sort of try to come at it from a professional standpoint, but I love that so much of what you guys do, you still retain so much fandom. Like there's a, there's a passion that comes through in the podcast. And that's why I love listening to you guys over there. Yeah. You know why it's important? Because, you know, there, there's other people that, you know, they're probably going through a rough time at work or, or maybe they're driving to work or going to school. Right. And they just, they, they just fans of games. So why not pass that energy to the listener, you know, and, uh, and that's the thing. I'm always surrounded with people that are always excited about games, you know, um, or we always like debate, talk about like conspiracies, what's going to happen next and stuff, you know? <laughs> so I, I love that, man. I, I'm always surrounded with, with people like that, man, that, they just excited about games, man. So what, what's on the future for Gamertag Radio? You guys got your documentary. I think you're showing at a Dominican Film Fest coming up this month. Yeah, is yeah. that right? Actually, we're doing two film festivals. Uh, this is my first time. Oh, like, nice. I've never done a film. This is like super new to me, you know? So I submitted this uh, my uh, documentary everywhere to different film festivals. So this month is the Geek Film Festival. That's That one is part of the Florida Supercon. It's like a big, huge Comic-Con event that always happens over here too in, in in florida and the next one after that is the dominican film festival in new york which last year they had like over twenty thousand people that sh- showed up at the film festival so and, and the okay. reason why i submitted to like film festivals like that is because i want a, a different crowd to learn about not only gaming but also podcasting and, and at the same time ever inspire them to do like other things man you know so after watching the film congratulations that's that's pretty awesome yeah i'm very excited very excited and uh it's gonna be very cool and and interesting man uh because this is a totally different crowd man totally different crowd you know so well congratulations again one of the things that i think brought us to talking about our topic that we're going to be discussing today was that you built gamer tag radio out of a love for the gaming community, sort of as love letter to like the gathering of people with a with a shared interest in in this like crazy industry, it's it's dope that you guys have been doing it for God, how many episodes have you done? Like seven hundred well, something. Well, right now the ones that we marked with number is like seven hundred seventy seven. But get out of here. We have <laughs> we have like way more than that, like over a thousand, I believe. Because yeah. you know, usually when we go to E three or different type of events, we we post multiple episodes. But we don't we don't put our the numbers there of the uh, of the episode. We just yeah. name it like E three twenty eighteen interview with so and so. We put it up and and it's yeah. multiple unless it's like a huge big episode you know that we have planned for a while. Like we we planned out our interview with Mark Michael Pactor. You know I put that as a, as a like a regular episode and stuff. But like you know if it's short, I just put it up and as a regular yeah. thing. You know. Thank you for continuing to put that stuff out and I'm, I'm gonna throw this out here now and i'll echo it again at the end of the show but definitely check out gamertag radio if, if you haven't done so already great podcast the guys clearly love video games and that that love comes through when you're listening to it let's jump into our topic man we don't want to keep you it. all day because you got, you got a birthday celebration coming up but our topic today is community feedback mm-hmm. i guess maybe to start out the conversation how do we define how do you define community feedback like what what are the processes that people usually go through for Mm -hmm. as fans of video games getting their feedback to developers and how does that relationship work in your mind yeah i think that you know usually we always travel to uh, different studios like the companies will invite us 
to you know for us to go to their studios like let's say a couple of months ago i went to montreal uh, because uh, ubisoft wanted me to, to sit down with with the developers producer of a full honor because they they've been working on a couple things for for the game which they announced mm-hmm. during e3 it's like new classes uh, characters and stuff and um you know i think they're updating it to like 4k and all that so but the, the cool thing about about that visit was because we, we sat down with them and they were showing us pictures of like actual like fans of the game that they invited them they're they're very vocal on like in different on their like their forms reddit they have mm-hmm. maybe fan sites of the game they invite them to and yeah they sit down with them they're, they're, everybody's taking notes like things that they would like to see in the game things that they didn't like that they want the developers to make changes and stuff i think that's really cool when you interact with like their, the fans like that because not only it's going to help us as like the fans of the game that's going to be it's going to be better in the future right but at the same time it's good for the companies man because you know if the game is good and everybody's spreading the word that it's good and it's getting great you know great reviews great feedback they're going to win they're going to get a lot more money you know what i'm saying but at the same time it's great to see the community there too because this is like a great way to learn about the business you know because usually gamers think we know everything and, and they're, they're like vocal mm-hmm. on, online on twitter social media but sometimes we just saying that without thinking like is it going to work for does it make sense for a company to do that the developers to work on on those on those changes and stuff so perfect example the division um we went to the studio what was it uh man right before it came out or oh, i think it was like a private media event they they invited us and you know one of the questions cuz paris is like a huge one of our co-hosts he's a huge destiny fan like that's that's like his game right so one of the questions he asked the developers was like you know okay so let's say i'm done with the game within a week you know the campaign and everything what's the mm-hmm. end game the developer of that game during the interview he was like stuck he didn't know what to say right <laughs> so the game comes Got out him. yeah the game comes out it's getting great reviews and everything but then the gamers finish the game super quick right so there was nothing else to do after that you know so now if you go back i don't know if you guys play the division or not but if you go back you know for months they've been updating the games based on the feedback from the fans right and now that at yeah. e3 we sat down and got to play the division two and you could tell that that game was because of the the feedback that came from the from the community and that game was getting so much buzz at e3 besides cyberpunk that game was pretty yeah. up there and one of the things that that got me super excited i'm sitting down there because we went to um to a private presentation of the division two this was like on a sunday and stuff so we were sitting down early in the morning hype about it right and the creative director uh his name is julian he, he was like talking about the game and then he says oh yeah this game is gonna have eight player raid and we looked at each other like uh you know my my whole crew we were like what the hell this is crazy eight player raid that's amazing right (laughs) but that all all that happened all those changes was because of the community you know i think if we send like the right feedback you're gonna see great things man right but is everybody's like trolling and threatening developers like how are you guys mm-hmm. going to achieve and make these changes, man, by doing those negative stuff, you know? Now, does that relationship between the community and the developers seem healthy? Like, like obviously, I think there's some very positive things that can come out of it. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone like Ubisoft, taking the feedback like they did in a game like Division, does that establish a precedent with 
the gaming community that if you're just loud enough, eventually you'll get your way with game making? Or do you or do you think there's like uh, like a middle ground, a gray area somewhere in there? I think it's in the middle, man, because, you know, there's probably certain things that we don't know when it comes to like the business side of things, you know, like stocks and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Right. They, they probably it, it just doesn't make sense. They're not, not going to have the same time to work on this stuff or or maybe they don't have enough resources, like enough people working on those uh, on that. Um, so that's one. Another thing is, I think it's important to have that relationship with with uh, the developers, especially us content creators. I'm not saying to like basically kiss butt, you know, and and, and say yes to everything mm-hmm. and you love everything. But the thing that I like about us talking to like the, the producers, the developers, the execs, they've been on our show and stuff. They will always invite us to talk to them. Right. And the reason is, is because we challenge them. We, we ask questions that it makes them think and, and it creates a great conversation. And probably there's certain things that were learned based on the stuff that we say, you know. So usually we will talk about it on our, on our podcast that we'll have so-and-so. I'll mention like on our Discord channel or on Twitter. And people are like, Danny, look, I don't, have, I don't have the connect that you guys have. Can you ask these questions to, to so-and-so? Because, you know, we're, we're there for our community, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. like, what was it? Um, I mentioned uh, a question to Aaron Greenberg. He's the head of marketing for Xbox, for those who don't know. We were sitting down at E3, and, you know, a lot of the fans that I've been, uh, I've been following on, on Twitter, they've been like, hey, are we ever going to see a new Jet Set Radio? Are we going to see uh, this game, the old game from the original um, uh, Xbox to come back, you know, remaster or whatever for the Xbox One? Or, or or and so on. So I said I sat down with Aaron Greenberg and I mentioned to him, man, because you know usually journalists are not never gonna freaking ask that question. You know, like oh, it's just a radio, mm. whatever. Uh, but um, <laughs> I asked that question to him, like, look, Aaron, like how how, how us the, the the fans the the you know the community, how we can make this happen, man? How can we change not only you guys' mind but also Sega? And he's like, look, man, you guys gotta be vocal, man. Be vocal the right way. Also hit up Sega. You know, because it's it's a business. I know everybody's excited. Everyone wants to see this game on Xbox One. But if we're vocal, maybe maybe we'll change minds, man. Uh, you know, the top heads. Yeah. You know, so so you said you know be be vocal the responsible way. Yes. Now, what is what is the responsible way? Because I think I I agree. I think there's a there is a responsible way to to have interactions as a fan of a property with mm-hmm. the people who are who are making that game. But a lot of times I feel like, you know, being online as much as I am, mm-hmm. I see it cross that line into toxicity, into entitlement. So in, in your mind, what is that responsible way that players can interact with developers in a way that will be beneficial to both parties? Mm-hmm. All right. So do you remember the the greatest presentation from Xbox when they when they revealed Xbox One back into, in 2013? It was like... Uh, they they had two events. There was one right before E3, and there was another one during the E3 presentation. I mean, not presentation, the press conference, right? That was one of the worst things I've ever seen from Microsoft. And this is during the time when uh, Don Matrick was involved. He was the one in charge of Xbox. This is before Phil Spencer and everything. So when I started to become a, a fan of Xbox, I met Jay Adler and a lot of, a lot of the old uh, execs that was in part of the company back then and they were very 
they they love interacting with with the fans all the time since I met them in 2001, right? When Dometric was in charge, you know, Xbox 360, I believe they were like now number one uh, when it comes to sales and stuff, right? And mm-hmm. so they got way too cocky. So they cut down a lot of like the community programs that they had. They had a whole community team. They laid, they laid them off, right? So every time we'll go to E3 and we, we usually sit down with one of them every year, right? So for the past few years, they didn't want to talk to us. It was like, you either had to be a major media like CNN or IGN or Kotaku, and we'll sit down with you guys, right? Just because they were number one. So I get to see this presentation at uh, the press conference at E3, and it was disappointing. Everybody was talking about it, right? It's like, yo, what, what the hell is going on with Xbox? Like, why this is so expensive? Why they're adding Connect and all this stuff? What? Where are the games and so on? So I was so disappointed. So disappointed with the the, the the press conference that I posted a an open letter for for Don Matrick and and the Xbox team, and I explained to them they uh became number one because of the fans, right? They were very interactive with the community, and I felt like they forgot about that, right? So I posted that, and that's and I, I said in a way like we would like for you to either come to our show or go to somebody's YouTube channel or podcast or blog, do an interview because us, the, the the fans, we have a lot of questions for you guys, you know, because we were not happy with this press conference. So what happened? Uh, Don Matrick, I believe he quit or he got a new job. He left Xbox like two, three weeks after I posted that letter. Um, and then out of nowhere, I was getting emails from people that used to work for Xbox thanking me like, Danny, thanks. You know, I used to work for this company. Uh, I feel like the the team now they they're forgetting about about the fans, man, and they're just thinking about the mainstream, and that's it. So a lot of people were thanking mm. me behind the scenes, right? And a uh, couple months later, yeah. after that, Phil Spencer took over, and Phil Spencer and his team invited us for us to interview him at E3. It, it wasn't even oh, us. Nice. It wasn't even us, like trying to contact him for an interview it was actually them that they read the letter and they said you know what we got to go to a different direction if we really want to take xbox to the right direction we need guys like you guys like like your podcast to come let's talk to phil and at the same time they were getting they were making a lot of changes for months they were making changes now and it was because of the fans right but it wasn't you're always going to have trolls cursing and everything right but if you say the right way and you get their attention I think that's going to help, you know, and I wrote that letter. A lot of people were like saying, they were saying, Danny, you're crazy that you posted that, man. You guys are going to burn bridges. <laughs> it's like, nah, man, no way. We're, I didn't say anything bad. I just said the truth without cursing, without screaming and none of that. I just said the truth as a fan of just not only Xbox, as but just games in general. And it helped us. And then look now, Xbox is going to the right direction now for the past couple of years now. And it was because of the fans. There's a clear benefit when certain, I don't know, developers, producers, you know, they they listen to that fan base and, and implement things that make fans happy. But do you think that's always the case? Do you think there's examples of games where perhaps not listening to the fans is maybe the smartest thing to do? Because I there's a part of me that goes like, yeah, you should, you know, you should listen to what the fans want. You're trying to make, you know, these are the people that you're trying to make happy. But mm-hmm. on the other side of things. 
you're also, you know, as a game developer, you're making art, right? Like what, what they're doing is entertainment, but it's also art. And that art, you know, I, I can appreciate when that art has a clear vision for what it wants to be. And sometimes, you know, you hear it all the time. Like, I wish this game had multiplayer or I wish this game didn't have multiplayer or I wish this game had a single player campaign. And as a developer, I could see that being kind of frustrating if that's not what you want your 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 thing to be that you're making. So, you know, are there times when it's appropriate for developers to not listen to the fans? Oh, yeah, definitely. But at the same time, I feel like by getting some feedback, it, it will probably will inspire the developer to come up with a better idea than what we've been sending them. Right. Cause I, I think, yeah. And I, I agree with you. You can't just change somebody else's uh, like art just because you want something and you're being super spoiled. You, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. I, I totally agree with you, but at the same time, maybe there's something that will inspire them to come up with a better idea than what we've been sending them. You know, a perfect example mm-hmm. on that, like, you know, for years, the way how we release episodes, like our coverage from E3 is, you know, we do a lot of like short interviews, post them up and then have like the regular episodes later that night or something like that. Right. So we this year we posted like 55 episodes. Right. So there was a, one listener that hit us up on, on Twitter and was saying, Danny, why are you going to put everything in one long episode and, uh, and and this and this and that. And, that, and everybody that listens to the show was attacking him. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, that's not the right way, man. Don't do that. You know, he was just saying that as like a fan, you know, of the show. Mm-hmm. He's like, nah, put everything in one. And everybody's like, nah, there's certain games I just, I'm not interested. I don't want to like download the whole thing and fast forward until I find like the right interview for me. So the way mm-hmm. how they have it is perfect. And I said that to them, to the person that sent us the the, the feedback. I said, dude, we've been doing this for, for now since... uh you know, since 2005 like this, you know, and this is the reason why we're doing this way. And I had to explain to him, too, that usually a regular podcast listener, it will take them average time. Maybe it's like 30 minutes one day drive to work and they come back. Um, so right there is like an hour, you know, so that's a perfect example. I like it this way and it works this way. One person was kind of mad, like, hey, you should change it this way because it's better for me. I, and this is where I guess maybe feedback to developers gets a little hairy, right? Is because you'll never satisfy everyone, right? Like you can you can release a game that satisfies you know ninety nine percent of the audience, but there'll always be you know a few people out there who don't like it and mm-hmm. are very vocal about it, you know. And and the <laughs> it seems to be the same people, right? Like the people who really don't like a thing are also the people who are the loudest about not liking that thing. And I think the weapon that gets used so often now is something that's, I mean, fairly new. I mean, we're talking like within the last 10, 15 years, but this, this idea of social media, particularly, I think Twitter is probably the biggest place where a lot of these, you know, conversations happen, but how has, uh, the rise of social media affected the, the way that fans and developers interact? Ooh, that's a good one because when I started, it was strictly forms, right? And, and and I remember mm-hmm. this. Oh yeah, me there too. Was, there was a time that Nintendo, like if you go to their to the official website, Nintendo.com, they had forms, right? And I remember one time they announced, oh, we're gonna shut down the forms. This is before social media. And a lot of people were freaking out. 
a lot of the fans were freaking out, like, where are we going to go? Where are we going to communicate with you guys? Where are we going to send our feedback? You know? And and look now. Now they have a team that instead of just browsing different forms, just just go to, like, different social media outlets, like so, uh, like like Twitter, Facebook, and so on. And it helps them to to take notes, uh, like certain feedback, or where, to see what people are saying, what's the buzz online, and send that back to the team. You know, so I think it's easier now to do that because now they they hire people just for that, right? Back then, they would just browse forms, which is kind of complicated. Like, wh- where are you gonna go? Just IGN, the popular ones, and forget about the smaller ones, right? <laughs> right. But now yeah. it's easier to to search like through Twitter and Facebook and stuff. So yeah, I don't have an issue with, now, with social media at all. I mean, it is kind of a double edged sword, though, right? Like, there's 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 clearly the positive side of it, which is it makes feedback for developers accessible and it gives everyone a voice in what they want to see in in the games that they love. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it gives everyone a voice you know, to talk about the games that they love and mm-hmm. that can sometimes be like overwhelming. And again, I think branch into toxicity. So as, mm-hmm. you know, as someone who, who loves the, you know, the idea of community in video games and, and I fall into this category as well. I think there's a lot of good that a community of people can do. I mean, this past year, Jared, my co-host, he, I'm here. He hey, did a fundraiser. hey, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did we, did we wake you? <laughs> um, he did, he did a fundraiser, you know, there's, mm-hmm. and this is not uncommon. You know, there's, there, there is a lot of good that can happen. We just had uh, summer games done quick, you know, also fundraising. So there, there are great things that these communities can do, but how do we, as you know, fans of these things, how do we interact with the toxicity from within our own communities? Man, I think before uh, I used to take it, I used to take it personal, and and we'll go back and forth with with, with random trolls and stuff. And now I just mm. ignore them, man, because honestly, a lot of those people they just want attention, man. You know, and it, look, there's 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 gamers that want to send feedback, good or bad, to to not only us but also like their video game companies. And there's some is just trolling, or they just. Let's say they're a fan of Sony and they hate Xbox and they'll say stupid things about Xbox or vice versa, whatever. Right. So uh, the past few months now, um, I don't know if you guys been reading everything that's been going on with Atari, with the Atari VCS and everything, right? So, like, I, yeah. I'm really cool with with uh, with Atari, right? So I went to E3 and I booked an appointment with them to sit down because I, I wanted to see the console. So when I got there. They didn't have the console there available, right? But they say, look, Danny, it's, it's, we're working on it and stuff. We're going to have, you know, uh, uh, there's going to be a time for us to show this to you because we had it. They had it before. I think it was during uh, GDC, right? And uh, the the past few weeks, you know, I've been reading comments. And I even mentioned that during an interview to to um, uh, Michael, Michael Arts. He's the, the CEO of Atari. And... Uh, and I mentioned to him about that. I, I know that you guys take it personal when you read these these uh, like comments and stuff on social media on Reddit. You know about you guys are trying to like scam people, trying to take money and and so on. And he tells me, I mean, he tells me, you know, not on the show, but he's like, yeah, you know, it's it's just hard. Like I wish I, 
I wish I could sit down and and talk more about this, you know. But there's certain things we're not ready to talk about, you know. And like, like he mentioned, he mentioned that oh, we're gonna announce something cool. Like somebody that that used to work for for so so company. I think you guys are gonna be really happy with that. You and it was just recently they just announced that um, they had uh, they just hired someone that used to work for the Xbox team that worked on the design of the dashboard and and all that stuff, right? For I think for the original Xbox and Xbox 360. You know, and and I'm thinking, man, they should announce that a long time ago, because you know, you want to build that <laughs> trust from yeah. from the the gamers, right? Because look, if you put Atari VCS right now on YouTube, dude, there's like videos of 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 every a lot of people just bashing Atari, just bashing, right? But sitting down with them, I know that they are super excited about this project. Now, is mm-hmm. it going to be a huge success for them? Uh, maybe I guess you know, but you know I, I feel like sometimes us gamers, yeah, we ask those questions. I feel like it's not a scam, but let's see what happens in the future, man. You know, once you know, a lot of people put a lot of money now for the Indiegogo campaign, and a lot of people yeah. just are a little worried about it, man. So yeah, it goes both ways, man. It's go both ways, but at the same time, it's like they there's certain things they can't talk about yet, man. You know, so mm-hmm. people also gotta understand from that side, you know, but. Ah, it's a little complicated, man. I don't know. I just feel I, know. I just feel <laughs> I think, bad about the whole situation, you know. So I think that's I think that's maybe the 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 big thing about all of this community feedback, right? Is like fans don't fully understand what goes into game development, and I'm I'm in this I'm in this camp a hundred percent. Like I I mm-hmm. I've worked in QA a little bit, but I've never worked on a video game proper. Mm-hmm. But as fans, I feel like there's this growing sense that we do know. Right, like, like a lot of people. I play think video because, games, therefore yeah. I know what's best. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and I think that maybe that might be one of the biggest hurdles that developers have to get over in you know in this discussion that they're having back and forth with the fans. We don't have you for too much longer, and I don't want I don't want us to end on a on a negative note. So, Danny, what what is a game that what maybe what's what's your favorite piece of community feedback that got implemented into a game that that had a real positive impact on that game? Ooh, let me go. Let me go way back. I mean, I can mention the recent ones like right now, but I'm gonna go way back during the Dreamcast days. This is when there was only you know a couple websites about this game, and we were just using forums and all that. And it was Fantasy Star Online, and that's the game that made me want to start Internet Radio back then in 2001. Oh, nice. Yeah, because of the community, and I got to meet a lot of people online. And this is the time where we, we used to play through a 56K modem, and we would just chat without voice chat. we just type using a keyboard connected to the Dreamcast and just talk to people like that or go to the websites and stuff like that. Um, so, Did you have the, the keyboard-controller combo? Yeah, uh, No, I had... Two separate. I had the regular controller and I had the keyboard, another keyboard connected to the to the Dreamcast. That was probably the, the better way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the preferable way. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was a little hard for me because I had to put the the controller down and then type, you know, <laughs> type my my thing, whatever. <laughs> but yeah, I remember when the game came out, we were sending a lot of feedback to Sega. It's like, man, you know, because we used to kind of not hack the system, but if you go to the U.S. servers you only have like a certain amount of quests there, right? You go to the Japanese servers and they have they have a lot of content compared to the US. You know, so we had, we had to like change 
the servers for us to go to the Japanese. Even if we didn't understand whether like everything, it was cool just playing the different quests, <laughs> right? And I'll go to forums, and there's people that translate the quest, the name of the quest, and everything. So uh, we sent that feedback, and then I think it was um, version 2.0 came out, which they added more stuff in there, more content. It was because of the the feedback that we were sending to Sega when the first game came out. And it took forever. How were you sending it? How was it? Were you using forums or it was email forums? Or what forums. Was the... Well, well, ah. at that time we were going to this website called PSO uh, World, which is still available now. Uh, it's still up because uh, they still uh, like post updates about the the new uh, Fanny Star Online game that came out for the PC only, and I think for the Vita, I believe too. So yeah, that that so Sega will go to to PSO world and I know other uh, fan sites to see what people are saying about the game and to see what people were saying about their updates and the special quests and all that stuff. So it helped. It helped big time. Cause look, when 2.0 came out, Oh my God, it was like a phenomenal game, man. You know? So <laughs> well, dude, that's dope to hear. And that's cool to hear that. That's where the podcast was kind of born. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I talked about it in the documentary a little bit. <laughs> And people should definitely check that documentary out if it if it's shown in their area or or make a trip to go see it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, well, well right now you know New York, uh, the end of the the end of this month. Make sure to go over there because that's gonna be fun. So hopefully in the future I'll have it up like on YouTube again because I had it up for a little bit, but I, I want this uh, to be special with, a, with like the film festival because that that's the oh, thing for sure. That that's the thing I forgot to mention to you guys is that. Yeah, it's cool that we're all, all you know online talking th- through Discord and all that stuff. But nothing is more powerful than actually meeting the gamers face to face, man. Or mm-hmm. when you go to like a a gaming event like uh, you know PAX or E three, you sit there and you meet the people that worked on the game, man. Like the perfect like, story that I mentioned earlier when I started asking questions about the new Remedy game, I'm there talking to the people that actually worked on 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 Max Payne on Alan Wake, Quantum Break, and now they worked on Control, which, you know, usually it'll take them like three, four years to work on these games, and they're stuck in that office, man, working on it, right? So when they see a fan face-to-face saying, thank you, man, I'm a fan, I'm a huge fan of this game, it, it's like, it creates a special vibe, man, for them, and they appreciate that big time, man, you know? So I just leave, I love, I love meeting people face-to-face, man. Every time I go to a, or an event, I always do that. I talk about it like on our show, so for us to meet up like in different cities and stuff, man, all the time. Yeah, I think, you know, the Internet sort of depersonalizes everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like you've got the screen between you and the person that you're talking to and you might use language or you might express things that you wouldn't express to them in person. But, yeah, I think for sure meeting people face to face creates a much more realistic and enriching dialogue than whatever you can cram into a tweet and and you know, shoot off to the developer without actually knowing anything about them and vice versa, you know, like the developer communicating with the fans Um, to kind of bring this, this discussion to a close, Danny, how, how can the video game industry and how can the gaming community improve in the way that they communicate with one another? Like what can we as fans do better and what can the, the developers do better from, from your perspective? Um, when, when I say be vocal, be vocal the right way. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. You know, don't, you know, there's people that 
that work behind the scenes, so, you know, developers, producers, you know, execs, everybody that's part of the different companies, they're stressed out. I work behind the scenes, stuff that we have no clue what's going on, right? And then they go online and they see all this NASA's trolling and people talking crap and so on. It's like, oh my God, this is it's ridiculous, man. So if you say the right way, or when you go to an event, let's say Xbox is in town, they're, they're at the Microsoft store promoting something, I don't know. Go there and, and talk to the the ex, people from the Xbox team there, man. You know, because I think that's that will help us out, man. As fans, it will help us out big time, man. Because then they will, you know, it will inspire them, or maybe it will inspire them to come up with ideas, or they'll send that feedback to the team that working on on the different games and stuff. So, like I said, be vocal, but be vocal the right way, man. I think that's really well said. Yep. Yeah, that, that's excellent. Well, Danny, again, thank you so much for taking time out of your birthday weekend. Happy birthday again, man. Uh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I just turned 41. Yeah. Oh, you don't look a day. You don't look a day over 25. Uh, <laughs> and it's crazy because when I started, when I started doing the, the, the whole internet radio podcast, I was like in my 20s, in my 20s and stuff. So, yeah, man, I'll, I'll never forget this, man. My first event ever I went to was for Sega Dreamcast. It was... um. I think they had an event for promoting Sega Net back then, you know, and that and nice. it, yeah, I, I, that yeah. What's up? That's gonna garner you. That's gonna garner you some some nerd cred, man. That's tight. No, Sega Net. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. It's crazy because that that's the first time I play online, online gaming. You know, um, started talking to people online and and look at because of Sega Net. Now we have Xbox Live. Nintendo's finally got something right with online. Um, and and PlayStation added <laughs> poor, PSN. Or Nintendo. <laughs> it took them a while, but it's something. But it did. they got there. Yeah, they yeah. got there. But it, it's 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 good. Like you know, I've been I've been around for a while now. This whole gaming stuff, and and it's cool to bring up the old way how it used to be. You know, with with us collecting magazines and and mm-hmm. and doing this. Uh, you know, fifty six k online stuff back then. You know, um, it's good to bring mm-hmm. that and talk to people about it because. It was a different. It was a different crowd back then, man. Now it's a lot easier to find more people, and I think it's easier also to find the good and the bad now online, man. You know, it was a, it was a little oh, bit sure. harder back then. You know, so yeah. Well, where can where can people find you and the work that you're doing, Danny? Yeah, uh, find us out. Go uh, to gamertaggrid.com. You can find us everywhere: Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, uh, Stitcher. We're everywhere. So yeah, look us up, Gamertag Radio. You also could uh, follow us Twitter or Facebook. What were the documentary, the dates and places again? Yeah, so this next, actually, uh, when, when this uh, episode is going up, do you know? Uh, this, this one's going up on the 16th, I believe. On the 16th, well, forget about the <laughs> Supercon, because it will be done by the time. So after the <laughs> Just 16th. forget about that one, yeah. everyone. <laughs> so uh, the Dominican Film Festival, it starts in uh, July 24th through the 29th in New York City. So they're going to have um, different theaters all across Manhattan. So uh, I know one of them is in 42nd Street in Times Square, and they're gonna have other stuff like more up, more north of of Manhattan, uptown. But yeah, for more information, go to like Dominican Filmfestival dot com. They'll have the full schedule, I believe, by next week. And because I don't know when the uh, the days that they're gonna play Gamer Tag Radio documentary yet, so I'll find out by next week or so. All right, yeah, sure. right on. And, and yeah, get us any of those details because we'd be happy to help support it and get the word out for you uh, that, as much as we can definitely man thanks and, and and honestly the reason i made this movie was for our community and everybody was like nah man you have to show this to other people man this is so cool and and i started experimenting and showing it to people that are all non-gamers 
and they will, they'll call me like crying like wow man that was so inspiring man you know so at the same time I want I want people to understand more on on the stuff that we love you know games and podcasts and everything and hopefully they can learn something from that man too you know you know I'll encourage anyone in in the New York area go check out the documentary and anyone listening to this podcast definitely go check out Gamertag Radio they're it's a great team of guys over there the passion for video games comes through in every single episode so yeah Danny I want to say I want to say thank you again for joining us this is this has been a pleasure man yeah, thanks a lot it was a great conversation man love this man all about community man that was cool <laughs> thanks Danny no problem yeah, thank you man all right and we're back <laughs> are we back i don't know where are we picking this back up i don't remember <laughs> probably not i like how we, we didn't have we a try practice. we try a new format out and we just stumble all over ourselves <laughs> if you buy a new format do you mean flying by the seat of our pants by the seat of our pants if people think that we had planned for any of this they are grossly mistaken <laughs> I, it's the funny thing is it's probably only a very small step down from where we usually are when we record this show. <laughs> I mean, everything's different. I moved my computer into a new room. It may sound a little echoey because I didn't get a chance to hang stuff on the walls yet. Whatever. It's a brave new world we've entered here. Um, Jared, let's talk a little bit about how we define community feedback. Like, what are the typical ways that we as the community? voice our opinions about games to developers in a modern context? Because we've already talked a little bit about the history of it, but how do we do it today? I think social media now is is the primary way people reach out. I, I know forums still exist, but for the most part, I just think a lot of people find a direct access to, to developers uh, maybe a little bit too easy to get to these days. But uh, yeah, I don't know. People talk to each other. Reddit is a huge place for that. There's probably a subreddit for every video game that comes out. I guess Reddit still counts as social media. Kind of does, yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff is sort of gray areas. It's kind of like a forum, I guess, but... Uh, it kind of know. is. It's kind of like a Usenet, right? A little, little more hostile and more conspiracy <laughs> theories. <laughs> yeah, a lot more MAGA hats, but sure. Social media has definitely changed the landscape for the way that... that players interact with developers and developers interact with players. I mean, I, I can don't say think, personally, like, I had never thought about reaching out to a developer before social media. I, I, I never like really like wrote to anybody. You know, I wasn't like one of those types of fans that would reach out that in that way. But, that before, you know, we before have this, especially that was like the only way, though. Like sure. there was there was before social media, you had to like get an email address for someone and write a letter. And before that, you had to just fucking write a letter, you know, <laughs> like it was it was real, real hard to communicate directly to a developer before something like social media started to to rise in uh, in the public space. So it, it's it's changed everything. It, but I mean, we're, we're not saying anything that I guess people probably don't know. Like this is this is pretty common, right? Like everybody sees the way that people speak with developers online nowadays. Sure. I mean, we, we do it on this show, I guess. Does that count? Is, is it, is podcasting a community a type of community feedback? I mean, cause we're actively reaching out to developers of the games that we play. I mean, I think it is. I think it is. You know, this is something that I've probably spent too much time thinking about. Like when, when we were putting this show together way back in what was what year was it, Jared? Way back in 2017, <laughs> um, we were so young. We were so young, so naive back then. The world seemed so big. I I was thinking a lot about like what this show was, like what what 
I wanted this show to be. And I think even really early on, we talked about what, what our hopes were for the show, right? Like sort of at a, at a granular level, we wanted it to be just something fun for you and I to do, right? Like we talk video games all the time. Why not record it and, and share that discussion with other people and, and get people's feedback? Sure. But on the grand scale, and I think I even said this in that episode, we wanted to have a positive impact on the way that games are made, even if it's very small. I mean, I, I have no illusions about how big this podcast is or how big it will ever become, but it, it was always a goal that by having these discussions in a respectful way that we would hopefully you know, have, have an impact on game design, even if that impact was small. So I, I would say, yes, I think, you know, for, for our part, we are at least trying to, to have a discussion with developers, even if that discussion is a little bit one-sided and sometimes under-informed. <laughs> As it often tends to be. Is it? Well, 100% of the time it is. <laughs> um, hopefully we've made it very clear. I mean, I think we've said it a million times before, but we're approaching this from the perspective of fans. We know nothing about game game design or development we're just trying to talk about the things that we enjoy as fans and trying to hopefully do it in a constructive and positive way as, as often as we can well one of but, the things i think that we've kind of naturally started gravitating towards is we kind of just analyze it and think about these things from a critical perspective with layman's knowledge for the most part you know we're, we're kind of enthusiasts we're, we're video game nerds for sure so we think about this maybe more than some gamers but you know, I think as we've been doing this for over a year now, uh, the things that I've really taken away is how we can kind of be uh, a liaison between, you know, all the voices on Twitter and, you know, everybody's hot takes and uh, also get people who, you know, at, at the worst don't really think about this stuff to just maybe think a little bit about the developers and the development process. And I think that has been our strong suit so far is, is maybe getting people to think a little bit differently about how games are made by being able to interview, you know, all of our wonderful guests over the, over the past few months. Yeah. That's, you know, that's, that's a really great way to put it too. We, we chose to do this topic on a weird week. And, and by the time people hear it, this news will already sort of been a, a week old, but we're recording this essentially the week that all the arena net stuff came out, all the, the news with uh, Jessica price getting, fired from that company over the the backlash of of um social media interactions um so i'm gonna be kind of honest like going into this episode my headspace is already sort of in a, in a negative in a negative space i'm gonna do my best to keep this conversation positive because yeah this this episode wasn't uh developed out of a response to that we kind of already no. had this in the in the works well yeah we had this up. we had this we picked this topic we actually picked it with danny pena uh, like a couple of weeks before E3. So we've been sitting on this topic for a while. It was not a response to the ArenaNet stuff, but um, can, it's unavoidable. Can, you, I think can we our... summarize that in a way that's before we um, get into it? Because I, I know, I mean, Danny wasn't super familiar with it because he's he's been traveling all over the place. Um, yeah, we can, we can get into it. I don't want to spend too long on it. I was mostly just bringing it up to sort of let people know that that's kind of where my headspace is before we get too far into this. So if I come across a super negative... Please understand that I, I understand there are really there are really great things that community feedback can the way that the community interacts with developers can have a positive impact on the game and on game design. And I think there's some really great examples of it. But if I do come across a little negative in this discussion, 
Uh, it's just because I'm sort of in that, I'm still in that headspace of the news coming out from the ArenaNet stuff, which is, um, I, d- I don't think the importance of it can be understated, but for people who are unfamiliar with it, essentially, uh, Jessica Price is a writer for ArenaNet, she, or was a writer for ArenaNet, she wrote for Guild Wars 2, and she had written a blog about writing for uh, MMO characters, how to, how to write for, for characters who are essentially blank slates. And she ended up getting into a little bit of a tiff with someone online. She, she referenced a part of the article that she had written about character writing and um, a gentleman who was uh, partnered with ArenaNet as a content creator made a comment on her post saying like I, something along the lines of your article was interesting, but I think this. And she responded by saying, please don't tell me how to do my job. And then she reposted his, you know, his response and said, look what I have to deal with every single day as a woman in development. I'll definitely, we'll, we'll make sure and post a link to the news articles relating to this. If you haven't seen any of this stuff, cause I don't want to be misrepresenting what happened. I think everyone should read for themselves and, and get more informed than I'm willing to go into here. But overall I'm with Jessica price. I think, um, she deals with shit. Women deal with shit every single day online. Women in development. Um, uh, we I, should I probably she... mention that uh, her interaction with this particular person resulted in her uh, um, being let go from her job that she had been there for about 12 years, I believe. Um, that I don't recall. I don't know. She, how she's she... been with ArenaNet for quite a while anyways. Um, yeah. And ArenaNet's response to this was to uh, terminate her employment. So it it kind of, uh, yeah, it, it, it didn't it definitely didn't put either of us in, in the best uh, headspace surrounding community feedback for this episode. No, this is this is the most toxic that a community can get is the head hunting, the you know, the entitlement. Uh, this is not an everyday thing, you know, so I, I, we we wouldn't be doing our, our jobs here on the podcast if we didn't at least mention it. But I don't think, you know, it, it doesn't stand as an example for what happens every single day. What does stand in, as an example for what happens every single day is the, the the kinds of interactions that Jessica Price had to deal with when she was, I mean, she, you know, was a public figure on social media. I follow I follow her on Twitter. I respect her very highly. Um, I I like her opinions and her take no shit attitude. And I see the responses that a lot of her comments get her of of usually straight white dudes going on her on her Twitter and doing the like, well, actually, I think this kind of response. And while it, I guess at times it can seem a little innocuous when taken as a big picture, a whole picture, it definitely. Um, paints a scene that you know there's there's issues with the way that we communicate with one another on on social media and communicate with developers and communicate with women and people of color and people from other marginalized groups and um there's a lot of room to grow in that space but um, danny was was overall very positive about it he was that's why i love that's why i love that interview with him it was great i I mean I'm, i'm glad he's just a super energetic like positive upbeat dude and we need him out there being being that person because it is easy to get caught in the weeds on this stuff and and uh, uh, it can it can definitely bog you down. But 
it, it's it's important. I mean, it's not just video games. It's it's fandom in general. We've seen it with Star Wars and mm-hmm. uh, you know pr- pretty much anything that's any pop culture thing that's gone mainstream. Um, people like to voice their opinion about it for better or for worse. Yeah. Well, and I don't want to dwell on this. I just we had to bring it up. It just happened. Uh, and it happening so close to us recording this episode, I feel like we would not be doing our due diligence if we didn't at least mention it and get some of our thoughts out of the way. But let's not let's not dwell, Jared. Let's let's talk about some good ways that community feedback affects video games. Are there any examples of times that community feedback has had a positive impact on a game in your mind? The one that popped to my mind as the biggest example of this was Final Fantasy fourteen, which later became Final oh Fantasy fourteen A Realm Reborn. Uh, so what happened with that game, it was a MMO released by Square Enix um, several years ago. I, the makers of like Super s- Mario RPG, I'll throw out there. <laughs> Has it been? <laughs> it's probably been like six years since that game was originally launched. Um, uh, maybe, probably maybe more than that. It's, it's, it's been a long time. But it was plagued with issues. It, there was a lot of problems from the ground up. Uh, people just weren't enjoying it. it they'd already done uh, an a MMO in the past with Final Fantasy XI. And this was different in a lot of ways that people didn't really respond well to. That that game, I don't think, lasted quite more than a year in its state that it was released in. And surprisingly, you know, it, Square Enix is a is a Japanese company. Uh, they're not they're not known for their uh, transparency too often. But they they took the feedback from people. They basically. They shut down the game. There was a big extinction event that happened in game. Everybody's stuff was going to get wiped. All the characters and everything were going to go away. And they took some time off and and re-released the game is almost completely different. I, I, think, oh, I think pretty they, much I think everything they rebuilt changed. the engine. Like they, they rebuilt the engine, the, yeah. the premise of it. I mean, a lot of the art assets stayed the same, but uh, it, I've never seen anything like it. And I don't think. I don't know that we ever will again. No, because uh, it's, it's a monumental thing. They they basically made an entire another game. That it. I mean, for any company to release an MMO and have it fail as spectacularly as Final Fantasy fourteen did, that would be the death of that company. To not only like cancel the game and rebuild it from the ground up, but also to very publicly say like, "Look, we messed up." We apologized. There's like, we're sorry. This game is so bad, but that's good. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate transparency and I know there's a lot of reasons why video game companies are not transparent. I mean, again, we're talking about community feedback in a week that the arena net stuff (laughs) all went down. So I, I a hundred percent understand why some companies are not more open, but man, I really appreciate it when companies just say what they mean and, and put it out there to me that, that, gets so much respect in my book yeah i'm not exactly privy to all the behind the scenes stuff that happened with that i would i would like to read about it someday because i i suspect there is a lot of discussions being had as far as how are we gonna turn this around financially now that i mean now you're talking about feedback like drastically changing a game did you play final fantasy 14 jared yeah i played back in the day yeah i played the original i bought it day one um, I even participated in the beta, so I knew I was getting into. I was kind of hoping that uh, it would be fleshed out <laughs> when it was released. Um, I was so young back then too, um, <laughs> and, and and it wasn't. It was a lot of the same that that they had showed off before, and I had played. And it, I was I was like I didn't expect anything. I was like, well, you know, some sometimes these things don't work out. Um, I, I wasn't 
as passionate as a lot of other people were about it. Um, and I just kind of stopped playing it. And then once they they flipped the game into a whole new thing, I played that too. And uh, that was that was good. But that was kind of, you know, when I sort of lost my drive to play MMOs. So I didn't stick with it too long. But it turned into one of their most successful games ever. And people are still playing that game. And they're still releasing expansions for it. So uh, and in this case, it worked out really well. Yeah, I, uh, I played it when it first came out. And then... Uh, I haven't I haven't played it since I didn't prov- I didn't give any feedback though you know like I, I I think I was in your camp right like I played it it wasn't great it wasn't for me I stopped playing it and I went on to play other games um, I, I feel like that's <laughs> that's pretty much how I am with with most things I'm like oh well I didn't really enjoy that so whatever there's other things to play and you know you know what the crazy thing is Jared that's probably the strongest feedback you can give. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean? Like getting online and shouting about your opinions or emailing the developer, like that's all well and good and I'm and can and does often have an impact on game design, but just walking away from a game I also sends a very clear message, especially a game like Final Fantasy 14 where they were looking for monthly subscriptions to sustain that game. And I can them. understand that if you're if you're passionate about these things, that can be sometimes hard to do. Um, and and those are the people I think that that reach out. But um, yeah. for for me, I just I, I was you know in college. I think when that game came out, um, on the verge of graduating, I just had too many other things in my life that I, I just didn't have time uh, to dedicate to to worrying about yeah. it too much. Now let's talk about my favorite game to badmouth on this show, Destiny. Oh. <laughs> I was hoping it was going to be Proteus. Just, I don't know. I don't know why I hope that. I've never badmouthed Proteus on this show. I'm not going to badmouth Destiny today. Um, well, maybe I will a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Destiny Destiny is an interesting example, and, and I think it's very similar to what happened with Final Fantasy XIV, where they released a product into the world that was either not finished or did not have a strong identity. And I don't know which one it is in the case of Destiny. But Destiny Vanilla showed a lot of promise in that it had very strong fundamentals in the, the gameplay. You know, the shooting down aliens. Like, that that part of the game was, was always super strong from the very beginning. What wasn't really strong was the way that they were delivering story content, the way that they were pacing progress in that world. And in those in those cases, those those elements of the game improved over time. And I would say as a as a direct result of the way that fans gave feedback on what they wanted to see that game become. Now, Destiny by the Taken King, a lot of people think the game was, you know, a lot better than I would agree. I don't I don't think it was a a, a lot better. I think it was I think it was better, but I think it improved because they understood that the product they had released was not doing what they wanted it to do. They had a game that they wanted to appeal to a, a very large audience. They wanted it to be the game that everyone played, that anyone who, you know, anyone could play this game and find something interesting in it, and people were not having that experience with it. So they stuck with it and really tried to make it a game for as many people as possible. I asked this question of Danny in our interview, and I, and I want to ask it to you, Jared. Does it ever feel weird to you when a game is influenced by community feedback? Like, to a certain extent, like when we play a game, we're looking for someone's artistic expression or a group of people's artistic expression. Does it then seem weird when that game gets modified based on what players want versus what just like the, I don't know, I guess maybe 
the auteur perspective would say a game design should be? That's a that's a really good question that I don't I don't know that I can answer. It it, it is weird, right? Because who who made this game? You know, it, Bun- Bungie isn't necessarily there's not a single voice at Bungie. You know, like maybe that there was when Halo first the first Halo came out. And so it it definitely to me came off from the very beginning as a game that was made with a lot of input from a lot of people at that company. And and there's plenty of anecdotes out there now of of kind of the behind the scenes development issues that plagued that development of that game. So I don't know, but it just by the time that that game came out, Bungie has already been kind of this behemoth of a of a developer that I I didn't really I didn't really know what to expect from it. I don't think anybody did. And then people started people had their ideas of what they wanted from the game and I think that may have changed once they got their hands on it um and saw the scope of it. So I mean, in that case, I think it was definitely great for them to listen because in my opinion, it didn't seem when that game was released that they had a at a unified vision for what it was and the community I think helped them guide them in a direction that that maybe was a little bit more focused. I think yeah, and I think that's an excellent way to put it. Like these games that come out, especially a game like Destiny that that is so large in scope and meant to appeal to so many people, it's hard for something like that to have a clear identity. And I think it really was this interaction between Bungie and the fans that helped that game find what it wanted to be, what it was trying to be, and helped it become sort of the best version of that that it could become, where early on it seemed like they threw everything against the wall to see what would stick, and they didn't really know what was, you know, what was going to work with, with the fans. And, I, and we can only say, like, I'm on the outside of that. You know, like, I, I just sort of watch the development as it happens. So I don't know, you know, the internal politics of all of this could be completely different than than what were, you know, the interpretation from outside. But outside, it definitely looked like a game that lacked lacked identity and then found more of an identity through this shared discussion that happened between the developers and fans. Let me ask you this. We're, you were a pretty early adopter of that game, right? Day one, yeah. So did you contribute to that conversation? Did you provide any feedback anywhere in the forums or just, you know, talking to other players? Did you... Um, have any opinions on how the game should evolve that you voiced? Um, no, not not in not in the traditional ways that we think of. You know, I, I wasn't going on forums. I don't think I've ever gone on a forum or on Twitter to tell someone how they could improve a game. I mean, I do that every day on this podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm in, I've never gone onto these like typical avenues for for feedback and and expressed anything like that. I don't know. I've just never had that compulsion. You know, what I did do was I continued to play the game. You know, I, I showed them my support by uh, continuing to buy the the DLC for the game as it was coming out. And obviously I had discussions with other players of that game about the quality of that game. I did a lot of raiding with random groups that I would find online and we would talk about the game. You know, so I was never really providing feedback directly to Bungie about, you know, how they could make the game better better or what I didn't like about it but you know I, I continued to support the game through its changes it's it's weird if you're talking about big developers like Bungie and Activision and Blizzard th- these are all companies that have stockholders that 
they have to answer to, you know, they, they have to turn a profit. If they're not making a profit, then they, you know, their stockholders aren't making money and no one's having a good time uh, on the business end of it. So, you know, when you can directly interact with your audience, or your player base, that is a very concrete thing to take to a boardroom and see, look, this is what people want. Let us have the money to give us the resources to work on this so that we can further improve this game. Uh, and, and we have a very clear direction from, you know, all of this. This is free research, you know. Back before this community feedback was so prevalent, you know, you'd have to do like focus groups and, and you'd have to pay people, you know, doing doing tests like that. So this is, you know, it's all data that I think that they can use to really optimize a game. And that's a really hard thing to do, especially for uh, indie devs who don't have those resources. It's a balancing act, right? Like this is where a company like Blizzard, I think, does it really well with balancing like what they're going to listen to and what they're not going to listen to. And if I feel like if you give too much ground, right? Like you say, we're going to listen to this feedback and this feedback, and you know, and the fans start to see that what they're saying is having an impact on the game's design. It can create this sense of entitlement in the player base, which is where things like Gamergate come from. You know what I mean? Like, hey, look, if if enough of us get together and shout really loud, we can change this thing because it worked before. Right, and then you have that vocal minority problem. So it it seems very very hard, and and I don't know that we as you know video game fans and developers making these games or even if we as you know human beings have figured out really how to handle just how much information gets shared online but it 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 definitely seems like a very very i don't know like tenuous balancing act that occurs right like you want to keep the fans happy but you don't you really can't let us have too much because otherwise we push our way in the front door yeah, I mean, there's there's a couple of extremes on this in my mind. There's uh, the League of Legends slash Dota 2 way where every single person has an idea about every character's ability, blah, 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 blah. A lot of that gets implemented. Um, I think that they've been pretty good over the years balancing that stuff. People seem pretty happy with it until they're not, which happens quite frequently. Uh, but they, they do take that. They're very They're very interactive with their players. And then there's the Valve approach where it's like, hey, hey, Valve, what if you made Half-Life? Nope. Okay, well, what if we did a, a, a sequel to Left 4 Dead? Nope. Okay, they're so, gonna, you know. Gonna, they're going to shut down our podcast for you even suggesting those things, Jared. <laughs> you know, Valve, Valve is uh, one of the tightest doors out there. It's, it's, it's hard to get any conversation happening with them. Yeah. Um, you know, they claim they're, they're going to come back to games and they haven't made a game in a very long time since community feedback uh, in, in the modern sense is, is kind of taken off. So I'd be interested to see what they do. I mean, I mean, Valve obviously is the developer with uh, Dota 2, but that's almost an entirely different thing. I think that's an entirely separate organization from the people who made uh, their traditional games. You know, They're stepping back into it in a big way, though. I mean, with them acquiring Campo Santo as like an in-house studio now, yeah. Uh, a company who has been very vocal in the public in the public space, whatever it was, like issuing the takedown for PewDiePie over his racist comments online, and with them having a game coming up that features prominently woman of color as a leading character, like community feedback's going to be a big, a big, big thing for them coming up. So it will be interesting to see how a you know a company like Valve, who has been very, very tight-lipped on a lot of this stuff handles what's probably coming their way i'm guessing 
it'll be interesting. It's it's such a hard thing sorting through all of this stuff. You know, everyone yeah. has an opinion, and you know, I think that we've we've kind of made a point on this thing. It's like not all not all opinions are good. <laughs> no, they they definitely are not. Usually coming from us. <laughs> Don't listen to anything that we say ever. Nope. No. <laughs> if you're making a video game, just turn this podcast. Off. Yeah. What are you doing listening to this? Get as far away from us as you possibly can. I don't know how you accidentally downloaded this. <laughs> we need to like release cuts of these podcasts where it's just our guests talking. And that would be exactly. way better. That's my we call, feedback. We call this the intelligent edit where all of the Jared and Steve parts have been removed. <laughs> um. I want to talk about another really great thing that community feedback can do, though, is have a really positive impact on gaming as a whole. I'm thinking specifically about something like the discussion of, around loot boxes and Battlefront and uh, Shadow of War. Is that the other one? Shadow I always get Shadow of, of Mordor and yes. Shadow of War confused. Yes. Loot boxes. We'll, we'll just say loot boxes, right? Like, I think this is a, a situation where a lot of the community was fed up with a tactic that had been implemented in games for a long time and was, you know, growing and growing and growing into, um, I don't know, like pretty predatory practices. Yeah. And gross, I think, is the is a good yeah. way to put it. And as a community, everyone sort of came together and said, look, we've had enough of this. Please stop doing this. And if we don't take care of this ourselves other people are going to come in and take care of it for us and that's not what we want. other people being like governments <laughs> or or other organizations coming in and, and monitoring this stuff that when it doesn't need to be monitored if we can take care of it ourselves uh, and i think that's a really great example of a sort of a good cause that community feedback played a really big part in how do you feel about that yeah it, it was good i think it was a lot of the feedback. I mean, people have been complaining about loot boxes for a long time, but they were also buying them. Uh, I, I think that EA screwed up and that they got a little greedy with this one and it, it wasn't even fun to acquire loot boxes. It wasn't fun getting them in game uh, and they just made it more of a chore. So people just didn't pay money for them. And it, I think that game was kind of a, a financial failure for them, especially being a star Wars title. It, it, you know, the, the, the bar was raised pretty high for it. Um, and, and I think that is the biggest feedback you can give, like you said, is just not interacting and not buying these things. I mean, that's a pretty quick way for people to, for developers or publishers to get the message. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I, I mean, just, I don't know. I want to talk more about loot boxes, but we already have a loot box episode. People should go listen to that one if they want to hear more of our thoughts on it. But I, I think it's good. I, I think this was a situation where people rallied around a, a cause that's good. You know, the one I've seen lately, Jared, is um, the discussion around unionizing game developers. Yeah, that, that's a discussion that's getting louder by the day, I think. Yeah, but one of the things that I like is seeing when fans support it. There was, God, I wish I could remember the, the game. There was a game that got delayed and the development company came out publicly and said like, look, we're sorry we missed the release date. Trust us. We're working, you know, we're working everyone over time to make sure the game gets out to you as soon as possible. And almost universally, the responses to that was like, oh my God, no. Like, <laughs> it's like, take your time, uh, you know, make sure you're, make sure all of your developers lead healthy lives and just get the game out when it's done. Like, 
yeah, there's a certain amount of entitlement. Like you're going to hear from those players who are like, where's my game? You said it would be out by this day. Where is it? But there's, but far more of the people that I saw online in response to this were like, Oh God, no, please like take your, take your time. Like we'll play the game when it comes out. Don't murder your employees to make this happen. So I really appreciated seeing that, you know, around these, these issues that are maybe bigger than even just one game, you know, issues that are important to gaming in general. Yeah. I I would have to imagine that if your developers are happy, you know, with the work environment, they're going to be putting out better work and that, that just all around is, is a better experience for the consumers and, and those developers. I, I know personally, I know people who worked in the video game space that quit because they, they did not like crunch. And the, those people are intelligent people with, with, strong voices that that i know for a fact would have had a a positive influence on on gaming you know would have would have helped make amazing games but they're no longer in that industry because they couldn't handle working 70 hours a week through the holidays you know i mean that's that's the double-edged sword too where it's if you're a developer that's sort of public facing people know who you are for a popular game and they can reach out to you on Twitter, you know, that can sometimes be a detriment to your mental health, I guess, to put it lightly. You know, having to interact with with the, the customer in that way, authors or writers for video games and typically talk to the video game fans back when I grew up, <laughs> you know, that's kind of a, in the scheme of uh, video games, that's kind of a new thing. But on the other hand, developers can, you know, shine that light on industry issues and um, I, you know, I really hope that they do get to organize soon and, and negotiate some better working conditions. And I think that will just lead to better games overall. What can the video game industry do better in the way that it implements community feedback? Or, and I'll throw this one to you as well, what can the community do better when providing feedback to developers in your mind? What can the community do to provide better feedback? I don't know. It's it's hard for me as someone who doesn't interact in that way. You know, I, I think I guess my, I, I do give feedback and that I just don't buy or play games that I don't enjoy. You know, I, I think I don't feel that anybody owes me anything. I don't feel that uh, it's an, an entitlement in, in that sense. You know, you're not you're not an entitled jackass, Jared. <laughs> but, you know, you're like not a everybody who has human being. Not everybody who provides that, you know, positive or, you know, that that constructive feedback is a jackass. So, you know, I don't want to lump everybody into that group. No, no, no. Um, I, I, but I for me, kidding. you know, if I, I listen, Jurassic Park was my all time favorite film. I mean, that's why I got into filmmaking. That's why I went to film school. Jurassic Park 2 was OK. And then I saw three and, you know, I just stopped caring about Jurassic Park after that. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I didn't <laughs> I didn't start a petition online. I didn't go and write write the directors and the writers. I just stopped watching them because it, I lost interest in it. And it's okay. You know, there's something else will come along. There's there's plenty of new IPs out there. There's indies doing very cool stuff all the time. So I, I think while it's it's good to voice your opinion and give constructive feedback, you know, maybe also just think that it's okay to just not engage in that way. I think it's a great lesson to learn that not everything has to be made for you. Right? Sure. Like there's, we live in a time now where there's video games released every single day. Every single day, a new game comes out. There's there's plenty out there to find and enjoy, and it's perfectly okay to say, this thing is not for me. 
I will not play it anymore, and I will go find something that does appeal to me. And not, it, you don't necessarily have to try to make everything about you, right? <laughs> like, sure. like, if a game doesn't appeal to you, you're you're on. You don't have to like write to the developer and tell them that they need to make the game more to you, more for your liking. And Twitter is by far the easiest way to reach out to people, but I think it's also the worst way to communicate what you're trying to get across. You know, with with even though that they up the they doubled the character limit, it's just not a place for nuanced discussion. Where I think a lot of these discussions lend themselves to nuance. So, I wish. I mean, I grew up hanging out in the PlayStation forums, and we talked about all the PlayStation games that were coming out, and these were pages and pages long, uh, and it was a lot easier, and emotions didn't quite get flared up so quickly because yeah. you didn't, you didn't, you know, you you weren't um, people weren't misinterpreting uh, right. what you were, you were saying. Yeah, you were able to more easily articulate the nuance of your your argument rather than having to condense it to these bite sized tweets that go out to developers and i guess if you do want to interact with the people if you if you want to say hey i really love the the new quest that you guys put out the dlc is good or if you want to say listen i don't don't like this change that you made that affected the balance of my main character in overwatch just just realize that even though it's a company there there are people behind this they're they're humans so just the way that you would talk to your family and, and give them constructive feedback, you know, think about that and just just treat them with respect because they are making things that you enjoy. So uh, if, if you didn't enjoy it in some way, you wouldn't be so passionate about it. So just keep that in mind, I think. I think in general on social media, we've we have issues with boundaries. Like we think that because someone says something in a public space, it's open to debate and we're like, entitled to debate or entitled to express an opinion. I I don't think that that's necessarily the case. I feel like the people who would argue that that is like, oh, well, why would you, you know, say this on on Twitter if you didn't want people to, you know, to write back to you are the kinds of people who are writing back to those people, (laughs) you know, like they're the ones they're the ones who are like holding the can of gas and saying like, well, if you didn't want your house to be on fire, you know, (laughs) (laughs) just yeah. Please, if, if you're listening, if you're listening to this, and and you are a person who is who's passionate enough about a game to write feedback to a company, I I will echo what Jared said. Just understand that there's there's a human being who who has worked very hard on the thing that you love, and just you know provide your your feedback responsibly. And and uh, sometimes the things that you want might not be possible, or they have thought of them and and chose not to use them, and they don't necessarily owe you a response just because you write to them. Or, you know, they just. Or just maybe like understand that your idea might be bad. Like that's <laughs> entirely I'm, possible I'm, too. I'm like guaranteed that ninety percent of the stuff I say on this show is bad. You and know? it's very like, easy to find your echo chamber on the internet. You yeah. know, so just because you and and your subreddit of people um, they they think that they all have a good idea doesn't make it so. The longer we do this show, the more I realize like how little I know about what goes on in video game development, and and I'm now in a position where. I talk to developers, you know, I've been to, I've been to GDC and we, we talk to these people. So I'm not saying I, again, by, by no stretch of the imagination, I'm not a game developer at all. I know very little of what goes into it, but I know enough to know that I know nothing <laughs> essentially. Sure. So, and and we do talk to game developers. So we, we kind of have at least a pulse on, on some of the conversations that are happening. Yeah. And, so, and, and one thing that I've noticed is, that, you know, if you think you have a good idea, then you're not the, you're definitely not the first one to tell them that like 
I guarantee it. <laughs> they, oh, they, they've, sure. they've heard that they've heard these things a million times and, um, you know, just think about it the way you word yeah. your words matter. And, uh, I think that's just a good life lesson in general. Anything for developers, Jared, any, any way that they could improve the way that they receive feedback or the way that they implement feedback from fans? You know, I've seen Ubisoft do this a few times where they take feedback in game. It's like, how did you like that quest? I don't know mm. if that's a good way to do it because I don't. I, I just I'm not sure if that's actionable. A lot of games now are software as a service where they're online in some capacity, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, you know they they do that for a lot of reasons, but they can also kind of see how people are playing the game. Yeah, that's a we didn't get into it, but that is that is like a big part of why this market has changed, right? Like if a company is expecting you to play this game for 20 hours a week for two years or for four years or for 10 years, whatever it is, then the expectations on the way that feedback is handled change. And I I have heard anecdotally that what people say they want versus the way that people go about playing the game uh, when they have that option is often different. And so I think that leave it up to the, you know, you know, we're, we're talking from the developer's perspective, but being able to, you know, hire the right people that can interpret that feedback and Mm -hmm. spin it in a way that's appropriate for your game. You know, um, I, that's, you know, that's not helpful at all. I don't, I don't know how, (laughs) I don't know how you do that, but I I, I do think that you should put significant resources into that, that, uh, community interaction because it's, it's a big deal. I think as a developer though, I I mean, I think you're onto something. I think as a developer, if you're actively looking for feedback from the community, and we're not talking about just unsolicited feedback you receive from Twitter, but if you're, if you're making the interaction with your community a part of your development process, being able to parse the important feedback from the feedback that is not actionable or just plain bad is, an, is important. Because trying to implement everything that every single person says is unrealistic and would probably make for a garbage game. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think you're definitely onto something with that. The, the, the thing I would add is, um, and again, this is, you know, like top level, like, I, you know, I, I have no idea how to actually implement this, but the one thing I would recommend is just having a strong vision for what the game is before you get it out there. Like just, just at, at its very core, like what the fundamental game is that you're trying to make. And that way, I think that will provide a lens through which you can view the feedback that you receive. Like, if you don't know what your game is and everyone's screaming about what they want, then you don't really have a clear idea of, like, which feedback to implement or how to implement it. But if you know, like, look, I want my game to appeal to this kind of person and I want it to have this kind of feeling and I want it to be this kind of game, then when when you're looking through all of that feedback... It, you know, it becomes a lot easier to say, like, this is the kind of gamer I'm looking to attract and this is what they're saying they want. So I can, you know, I can prioritize this kind of feedback. I think that that's an important part of the discussion. And, and not to go too far back to the Jessica Price thing, but I think that developers just I think that studios need to have developers backs when it comes to interactions with the audience. They, they should provide that buffer where if you're saying their writing is bad, you shouldn't be going out and finding that writer on Twitter and yelling at them, you know, have yeah. a, have an outlet where you can, you can reach out to the studio 
And the studio can analyze that and figure out, okay, well, why don't they like this? And collectively, like they have been, as they develop the game, they can develop a game plan for that. And, you know, making it personal is never a good plan. It's never constructive for for that process. Yeah, I I think that what you're seeing is just that a lot of these developers are um, not prepared for the landscape that, that we exist in now with social media that, you know, this, this time around this, uh, arena net thing has been eye-opening to a lot of people. I've seen companies now issue issuing public statements on their stance for the way that the developers interact with, uh, the public. Don't, don't harass people. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that internally there've been a lot more policies implemented in the last week or so. Uh, that relate to, you know, what's acceptable from the company's perspective as far as online interactions. You know, what will be tolerated, what will not be tolerated, and what the company will personally defend you on or will have your back on. Those are those are discussions that I guarantee are going on right now. But you're absolutely right, Jared. Just just be good to each other out there. Be can excellent just, to each other. Don't don't be a dick about it. Please as some might say. Please, can we just be can everyone just be cool? Like for a little bit, like, just for a little bit. These are, you know, at the end of the day, like yeah, video games are art, but they're video games. You know, like we we play these things for fun, and no one needs to be, no one needs to be harassed over this stuff. No one needs to have death threats sent to them, or you know, petitions to have their livelihoods taken away, or any of that stuff. It's just it's video games. Come on, let's, let's just have a good time. Um. Well, if, <laughs> I'm, I'm very hesitant to do this right now, but if you have feedback for us, <laughs> you, can, you can always send us an email at podcast at gbfeature.com or, to, or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Uh, please do. We actually, we like hearing all the feedback. And if you have constructive feedback, please send that along as well, because I, I will respect your time and take a look at it we absolutely love interacting with everybody um so far our experience has been nothing but positive so thank you the listeners that we have out there for for reaching out when you do i understand that you can't always and i'm guilty of that uh there's a lot of podcasts that i listen to that i don't reach out and give feedback to but um you know just let us know you're listening that's all we really want if you're listening to this podcast go go give someone some good feedback it doesn't have to be us could be another one of your favorite podcasts or a video game developer that you enjoy or whatever. Just go go write them a nice short message on Twitter and say, "Hey, I like what you do." Let's let's use this as an opportunity to uh, spread a little spread a little good while we're talking about the uh, the impact that a community can have. Because you might you might be surprised how big of an impact that can make on someone's week. You know, it, just one person saying, "I really appreciate what you do," and um, you know, keep doing that. That that I think is just uh, it's a good thing for everybody. Dude, it, it honestly like lifts my spirits every time we get someone who says that they like what we do or, you know, or that they're listening to the podcast and then they enjoyed a guest that we had on or a topic that we picked or anything along those lines. It's always it's always really great to hear. So I appreciate hearing it. And I'm sure whoever you choose to write to, if you're taking my advice, will enjoy hearing that as well. That's going to do it for this episode. But before we get out of here. I have to thank our guest, Danny Pena. He's not here now, but I just want to throw out a big thank you to Danny for joining us. That was a a really great interview we had with him. Uh, I will remind you to uh, check out his documentary, uh, Gamertag Radio, a podcast story, which is showing at the Dominican Film Festival in New York that runs from July 24th through the 29th. So if you're in the area, definitely check that out. Uh, Check out his podcast, Gamertag Radio. Uh, Some really great guys over there with definitely 
show their passion for video games and their and their love for it and their love for the community. It's a it's a great podcast. So check that out. You can follow Danny on Twitter. That's at Godfrey on Twitter. Uh, definitely follow him because he uh, tweets out some some uh, announcements about the show, about his documentary, and also he's just a great guy. So definitely throw him a follow over there. As a reminder, you can check out new episodes of this show every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and want to help us out, head over to our iTunes and give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast. This is Rad on iTunes. I'm Stephen Bennett. That's at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. And you can find me at Jared Bruner on Twitter. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games. This has been Game Breaking Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. All right, bye. Steven? Yes, well, but I, I really appreciate the work you do. Thank you. I appreciate the work that you do. Good little pat on the back for ourselves. <laughs> you make a good podcast, Jared. Great podcast, if I do say so myself. Thanks, brother. <laughs> See ya. Later.